Hello, hello, welcome to Anime Ichiban, Goomba Stomp's dedicated anime podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pontier. Joining me on this wonderful journey this week is the beautiful Harry Morris and hello. the new and improved Kyle Rogashone. How are you doing, Kyle? Feeling better? Had, had to go had to go in for a few repairs, a, a little tune-up for last episode. So obviously yeah. you are new yeah. and improved, version 2.0, Kyle. That, 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 is, that is the hope. That is always the hope. Yeah, I was just feeling out of it um, last time. Uh, so I needed a bit of time to myself. Yep. A little bit of relaxation, just uh, recentering, and I should be good to discuss anime, because I have thoughts on anime. <laughs> That's nice. very good. We could all we could all use a little bit of recentering sometimes. We, but we have the sayings, like, the world doesn't revolve around you, but it helps to think that sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, it's okay to have it revolve around you sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Got to, got to, I, got to recenter things. I am the blueprint for all of humanity. The default human, <laughs> the ultimate human being. It's just how I like to think, really. You, you know, there, the there actually U. is like a a published paper, I think out of Harvard, that like the theoretical perfect human being is a woman with which which what? Hispanic lineage. Some I forget which country, but one, one South American lineage. I don't... I haven't read the paper. What, what are the parameters for perfect? I, that, that's what I mean. Like, I haven't read the paper. I just know it exists. Oh, man. But yeah, that's, right. that's the theoretical perfect human being. Uh, okay. Well, I guess, I guess it's not me. Look up perfect mm-hmm. South American person. So, okay. I, I guess. Well, I guess while you do that. Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess it wasn't a, a dorky English twat. I guess it's not me. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I'll live with it's that. Not, it's none of us. We do not meet the first criteria oh, of being oh, female. No. <laughs> Anyways, well, here, Kyle looks up that. Harry, you have the wonderful displeasure of killing one of your babies in our opening segment. Nice. Yes. So. Uh oh. Oh what? No, just well, I, I. So I heard before we started recording, I heard the phrase "killing your baby." So I guess I'll see what exactly that means. You, right you now. participate. Yeah, you've participated in this before. You, you've done this before. You're Kyle. always yeah. killing babies, Kyle. You've participated in this on? activity of killing babies multiple times. Oh, good lord! All right, well, go on, Harry. All right, Harry. So, so awesome. you have to choose between Jujutsu Kaisen. Or My Hero Academia. Oh, oh shit. Oh, that is difficult. Um, speaking <laughs> of, My Hero Academia Season 5 started today. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't watched um, it yet. Yeah, no, no. So, so, like, the seasons always start with, like, a bit of a filler episode where it's more like a recap. Okay. Uh, this is probably the most fun one so far. It, it's, I'm, I've never been a fan of filler material, but this one's pretty entertaining. They were doing, like, and a kind of rescue exercise. And, and, and it's understandable like, when there's been such a large gap, too. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not really a big deal. But um, as, like, little filler episodes go, it's a very inoffensive, entertaining one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was a breezy watch. Um, not offensive so enough to kill it. <laughs> not No, not offensive enough to kill it. Um, I love Jujutsu Kaisen, as I say, every fucking episode, because uh, my repertoire of conversation is limited. Um, but... <laughs> I think My Hero Academia has had a bit longer to really steal my heart. It's had longer to really build up these characters. And whilst I love Jujutsu Kaisen, I do think I love My Hero Academia more. I, I would say next to One Piece, it's definitely my favourite anime of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jujutsu Kaisen, I love it, but it's not my favourite of all time. It's just a really great show. I'm going to have to kill Jujutsu Sorry. All right. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no more movie. That, that movie announcement has yeah. been poofed out of yeah, existence. Yeah, poofed out of existence. <laughs> and, I, and I will say... Although... I, Oh yeah, although technically the the movie is a prequel, so I guess like you could consider it like a companion piece and not directly mm. related to Jujutsu. So maybe it could still exist. Maybe it could still exist. Is is the prequel? Is it based on any pre existing manga? 
It is, yeah. It's based on the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero manga. Right. So it, which I don't know what that means. I need to find out if that's canon. It, that's, oh yeah, it's yeah. canon. Still, is it, yeah. it's, so, so this is something that I'm really excited for actually. And I think this is because of the Demon Slayer movie. I think yeah. we're going to get more anime movies that are actually canon material. Because like, yeah, and for, I think th- for so long with shonen films, it's just been like non-canon filler stuff. And it's been entertaining, but it's always a bit throwaway and forgettable. But to actually have anime movies coming out that are like canon adaptations of certain parts of the manga, I think that's really interesting. I'm excited to see what Yeah, and like. I think adapting a single arc to a movie, especially if it's well-suited as, as what I hear uh, the Infinity, Infinity Train arc is, mm. I think there definitely isn't a... Well, of course, there are reasons why not to. There's definitely... The production of a movie is very different from production of an anime series. But yeah, I, I agree. It would be cool to see more of those actually like canon uh manga arcs get adapted to anime yeah. uh, I guess Bunny Girl Senpai also had that which was really nice to see true true yeah very true and that wrapped up the story as well yeah, so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would definitely enjoy I feel yeah. like wrapping up with the story of the movie has a sort of like emotional impact to it also. yeah there's, there's, some, there's something quite nice yeah. about that it's same with uh, Made in Abyss like the last Made in Abyss movie was that's like, right canon yeah, that material. Was yeah. canon as well. and that was great I yeah. thought I really enjoyed that so I'd much rather see canon proper movies than like just filler throwaway movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although the advantage of the filler throwaways is that there's definitely a lot of people that went and watched the My Hero movies that hadn't watched the show before. Of course. And they yeah, were able yeah. to join, no problem. So that's the strength yeah. of that. But there's, I, yeah, strength. I would say with, with the thriller, uh, thriller, I mean filler throwaway movies, um, <laughs> <Thriller>. <laughs> with the filler movies, um, I'd enjoy them more if they took risks and did weird things that the show couldn't mm. ordinarily do true but uh but there's a whole other topic for another time mm-hmm. in the meantime kyle it's time for you to kill one of your babies so your options are oh, and this was a tough one for me too you have to either kill Eurocamp. i fucking knew you were gonna put Eurocamp in there <laughs> all right or miss kobayashi's dragon maid Oh. I know that also has a whole, holds a very oh. special place in your heart. Is the reason for why you got back into anime? Uh, <laughs> okay, um, this is actually fairly easy. Okay. Um, I love Dragon Maid. I I love it to bits. There are certain parts of Dragon Maid I don't really like. I mm-hmm. don't really like the creepy lolly stuff. I like if it were just a show about Kobayashi uh, living with Toru and Kana and then having their friends, which is more or less what it is. If it just toned down all of the fan service, I yeah, I, I sorry, Dragon Maid, you're, you're getting the axe. <laughs> Your camp is like unabashedly a very nice. It, it's exactly what you see on the package. Yeah, how dare you! you took away my second season after we waited this whole time. <laughs> I it's know. I, I, would, I would also choose Eurocamp, though. That I, I would, it would pain me. But it's, it's, I just watched the latest episode this morning. It's just, God, it's so special. It, it's criminally good. It should be illegal to be as good as it is. Just yeah, the way I haven't it seen the most the recent sceneries. one. I haven't seen the most recent one, but I do really like how season two is like at at, at Eurocamp's very lackadaisical pace. Mm-hmm. It is exploring like what it is about the girls that like they enjoy about camping but just what they enjoy about like what what they get from their relationships right right exactly um, so that that's what i really enjoy about it and that's what i really enjoy about dragon maid it's just in yuru camp that's the focus in dragon maid it is it's one of many things that the show is about mm-hmm. yeah 
Um, there was there was a part recently in Eurocamp where two characters found out that they share a birthday and like oh and they freaked out about it. I'm like I can relate because I had that exact same experience oh, in college yeah, yeah. where we were just sitting around a dinner table. It's like oh yeah my my birthday's coming up next month. It's like oh yeah what day April twelfth? Wait what? <laughs> I'm also April twelfth. Friends so, for yeah. life. Oh, nice. Twin, twin birthday twin exactly we have a twin lepathy powers because of that there's been Ka- plenty of times when that's happened kyle we need to ask matt the same questions now yeah exactly you gotta babies. come up with one for me um because oh, i, I want to ask you one matt i'm intrigued i want to choose mm-hmm. two shows that you like but you don't love so they're a bit more okay. middling for you yeah and it's going to be exactly what you asked me jujutsu kaisen or my hero academia yeah um i'm also going to say my hero academia because one of one of my one of my qualms with Jujutsu is I feel as much as like the animation is really cool and the characters have are have a neat dynamic, I feel like in this first season we haven't accomplished a whole lot. Like mm, yeah. uh, when you when you look at like big milestone things, like what are the things that really will have an effect? Nothing has happened. It's all like it's every single part is like stopped short of something meaningful yeah, being it, imposed on both sides of the It's like conflict. it's it's laid over groundwork, but it's not fully chiseled away that main narrative. Right. Whereas uh, My Hero Academia, you can really point to as like, okay, here's the part where Deku got his powers. Accomplishment. Here's the mm. part where he got into UA. Accomplishment. Here's the part where he, um, or here's the part where All Might ha- fended off the um, the League of Villains. Accomplishment. And so that was all within the first season. Yeah, yeah. all within 13 so, episodes. Um, yeah, I completely get where you're coming from there. Uh, mm-hmm. From what I know, the next big story arc in Jujutsu Kaisen is called the Shibuya Incident. And I think that's like the biggest story arc of the show so far. And that's meant to be massive with a lot of really heavy stuff happening. And I mm-hmm. think that'll be next season. So I am excited for that. But I, I agree with you. Season one has just been treading water a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in that regard, my my hero definitely has the edge. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, 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 I was going to say <laughs> season four kind of did the same thing a little bit, but not to quite the same degree. Um, at the yeah. very least, we did we did resolve the airy thing, um, but as much as Overhaul was an underused villain, but yeah, yeah, not, we've spoken about season we'll four see. before, and I, I I still love it, but it is definitely the weakest season I've found because yeah. it just feels like it treads water a little bit too much. Exactly, Kyle, do you have one for him? I I feel like I, I it's I'm trying to remember like the shows that are like impactful with Matt and that are similar enough. Uh, I feel like there's a little bit of a stretch between these two, but uh, <laughs> Clanad and Madoka. I, did you? I can't remember if you asked me this one before. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. You asked me fruits basket and something else. I can't remember. Oh, I did yeah, ask. You. I, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but Clanad or Madoka? Uh, okay, uh, this is rude because you guys sick me with two, and you guys just get one each. <laughs> I've got, oh, I've got a third those. one as well after this. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Okay. Save, save it for next time. Okay, episode. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, for for this one though, I I would I would have to choose Clanad just because to axe. What? To axe or to, to kill it? No, to, to save. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, no. okay. Yeah, okay. Ma- yeah Madoka <laughs> will be killed. We'll get axed. Yeah, I'm sorry. But um, as much as I love Madoka for just how much it kind of... I don't want to say revolutionized or revitalized the magical girl genre because it didn't quite do that, but just like how bold it was. How bold it was yeah, in yeah, its yeah. storytelling, its uh, visuals, its characters, its themes. It was just very confident and a thrill ride from beginning to end. 
Um, but as far as like ramifications on my life and uh, personal impact, mm-hmm. Planet, like mm-hmm. I would be a different person without Planet and just the without the lessons it shows and teaches, and especially just that one episode in the third episode yeah. in the yeah. second season with Ushio in the fields, just like literally the most memorable episode of anime of all time, no questions asked whatsoever. Was that um, episode three in season? No, it's two? not episode three. It's like it's like okay, it's, like I, I more, it it's more than halfway through episode. Okay, okay, yeah, I think. Two, yeah. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, I, I just would not be able to live without uh, that episode. All right, that's see, that's not hyperbole, but <laughs> I was thinking about impact, right? And I was going to like ask, well, what about Clan Ed versus the Fate franchise? But I feel like that's those are two very different things that you can't yeah. really compare. So. Exactly. All righty. Well, I'm sure. Uh, down the line, it's going to be hard for Killer Babies when Wonder Egg priority gets thrown into the mix at some point. Oh so boy, yeah. That's we're we're gonna move off right on into that discussion now for our our episode Lee Wonder Egg priority discussion. And so Kyle has is back on board now after a brief hiatus last week. So he he missed the recap episode. Oh no! Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I forgot that uh, we had talked about that in a previous episode. Yeah, and yeah. when I got to it, I was like, "What? What is going on here?" <laughs> yeah, it's, apparently uh, that's a thing um, that like Cloverworks is like perpetually like stressed. Yeah, um, potent- because Promise Neverland also had a recap episode this season. Um, uh. And I wonder if Horror Mia had a recap episode because that's they they were doing three shows this season, which is pretty insane. But uh, cool. yeah, anyways, we did not have a recap episode this chunk, fortunately. So we are covering episodes nine, ten, and eleven today. So if you are averse to spoilers, this is your warning. But we will uh, we will I will say which episode we're getting to each time. But for now, Kyle, seeing as you have literally just caught up <laughs> on this series. Yeah. What, what an hour ago just over an hour ago at yeah this about point. an hour an hour and a <laughs> so, half yeah. so what what are your feelings coming off of this right now what's, I, what's your what's your heat level it's it's good it's good it's really <laughs> good um i think like Monica, this is saying exactly what it needs to say in the right amount of time i don't think i so i've seen like two sides to this mm-hmm. um and some people are like, you know, they cover like too much and they don't in, go into enough detail with uh, like each of the topics that they bring up, which you know, is a fair point because you've got four girls um, and like at most, like you can devote like two, maybe three episodes to each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still that like through line that goes on with I and just her own personal story because she is a protagonist. Um on the other hand, though, I think they cover them just enough. I think that they, especially with the last episode that aired, um, being episode eleven, it yeah, being episode eleven, it it knows what it wants to say, and yes, it could cover these like topics in more nuance. But I think the fact that they're bringing them to the table, and they still have a message and a stance on these issues, is it works. It works it, for the degree of bold artistry that Wonder Egg Priority does take. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I've definitely seen both sides of those arguments as well. And I'll 
I'll get into mine as, as we go through the episodes. But I know, Harry, you're not totally caught I'm up not, quite so yet. What was the last episode you the saw? The recap episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, oh, okay. I'm a few episodes out. Uh, not because I wasn't enjoying it. Like, I was enjoying it. Yeah. But, but do you know, sometimes just you can have one episode that kind of breaks your flow and you struggle to really get back on the bandwagon. And that's kind of what it was. Mm-hmm. Like, every time I've gone to kind of catch up on it the past few weeks, I just thought, I'm not really feeling it. I don't really feel like watching it. Um, I am going to catch up on it and at some point. It is kind of a show you need to be in the mood Yeah, for. definitely. It I, I've, it's just those. not happened these past few weeks. Um, it doesn't help that I've been at work a lot and I've been like working quite a bit. So I've just not really had the energy. Like whenever I've gone to watch it, I've been like, eh, do I watch that or do I rewatch Brooklyn Nine-Nine and turn my brain off? <laughs> and it's always yeah. been the latter. It's always yeah. been as, as much as I like Wonder Egg Priority. It's a very uh, thinky show and it's a show that you have to kind of yeah, that is very focus. Fair. I've just, I've just not quite had in... the energy. I've got two weeks off now for Easter break. Yeah. So like I'll have the energy to watch it. But um, yeah. past few weeks, And the last episode not... will be on Tuesday. On Tuesday, so, right, right, wicked. So I can, yeah. I can binge it all like in a, a quick space of time. Um, but no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be quiet for a lot of this discussion because the latest episodes I'm not clued in on. Um, but yeah. yeah, hit me with spoilers. Don't worry. It's all good. Yep. And I think you'll still have something yeah, to chime yeah, in totally. on as well. So, so let's, let's just jump right into it. So episode nine, um, deals with Nehru and her, her friend that had up until this point been it, not, not, not her sister, which is the one that she's trying to revive, but her friend that was also a test two baby, basically. Both Nehru and this friend were test two babies. And they kind of grew up together and did their own studies together. Mm. And so this friend of hers, uh, Kotobuki, that's her name, uh, an albino girl, which was very interesting uh, design to see in the show. She was basically in a comatose state for an extended period of time after conducting experiments on herself to bring herself into a near-death state because she was always very fascinated with death. Um, the idea of death, what it brings. And I think that's a point, a philosoph- philosophical point that's been around since the dawn of humanity <laughs> is exactly what what death entails, what that process is like, what lies beyond death. Um, and I think this episode definitely got, it got appropriately philosophical because that's about all, that's about all you can do for this. And I think um what what was interesting about it though is that even though they were getting getting philosophical about it, they were still you could see that it was the writer's interpretation of what lies beyond death coming from through Kotobuki because um, Nehru meets Kotobuki in this 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 dream world because she's one of the girls that has died now, and Kotobuki says like I've I've seen what lies beyond death. It's like these other worlds and things like that. She gives these concrete answers that I didn't quite expect. Um, and it, I think to your point, Kyle, where one of the critiques is that the show doesn't go far enough into some things. I think for this specific episode, um, it could, it could have maybe done a little bit more to flesh out some of those concepts, but that's purely because the subject matter itself is so, abstract in the absolute in the most absolute Mm -hmm. manner uh i don't know if you got the same feeling from that for this episode uh i'll be real the episode with nero and kotobuki like it was a little hard for me to get into just because it was so floaty and abstract Mm -hmm. and that's i'd say it's probably the weakest episode right of the series so far 
uh, because it does hover that kind of middle ground where, for the most part, um, the show is an allegory, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's an allegory for trauma. It's an allegory for what it's like to, you know, be a girl that goes through this kind of trauma um, because it's very specifically um, you know, gendered trauma. Um, and the episode with Kotobuki was just a little too, it didn't really have anything to say. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of pondering. Uh, right. The the thing about it that really connected for me, which I wish they had dug into a little more, was how much Kotobuki's death affected Nero. Because right. you know, up to that point, you know, she was very, like, I mean, she's a test tube baby. Um, and, like, it's because of meeting the other girls that she's been able to grow and you know, recognize her own feelings. And it wasn't really until, like, the last two or three minutes where I, like, talks to her at the end that mm-hmm. she's like, okay, I, I can accept that, you know, my first and best friend is dead and, you know, I I can share this experience with I. And I really wish it had been more of a focus on Nehru, like, understanding her emotions and opening up and realizing that it's okay to share pain. Mm-hmm. Which, it was kind of there, but it spent a little too much time with Kotobuki uh, yeah. philosophizing. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think the writers definitely had, like, a grand vision with that that uh, that ph- philosophical portion. Just didn't mm-hmm. have quite the, the space to expand on. And because of that, it, it, it dug into the time that the, the show excels at, which is the, um, the introspection of the characters, for sure. Something mm-hmm. that else that happened at the end of the episode, though, was finding out how that uh, Neoru's company had a connection with the Akas. The uh, how right. they were searching for the 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 truth of death in a way, and so that that's what that episode ended on. And so that mm-hmm. brings us to episode ten, which oh boy, <laughs> this was this was an episode. I, I really like this episode. Okay, yeah, um, so let, let's good. get into this. And there's a lot to talk about this episode. I'm sure Harry will have okay. some things to say uh, as well. Yeah, so, um, yeah, this is definitely an episode, Harry, that I think you would be very interested to see, especially for the topic Ooh. that it's right. that it covers. Ooh. So the basic, what ha- this is a Momoe episode. And so it's it starts off with her um, going on a date with a boy. Uh, and she's very excited about it. She gets all dressed up in it and these these frilly clothes that she doesn't normally wear and she gets to the date and the boy is like, I am so sorry. I thought you were a boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't do this. And that depresses her. Um, that definitely gets her down because she, she sees herself as a girl, but she has a very boyish figure. Like that's, that's been, that was set forth. Mm-hmm. Now it gets into the dreamscape. And so her rescue target now is a trans boy. Ah. So it is um, a, a boy named Ryoko who is biologically female, but it, 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 he, he is a boy. Um, he refers to himself as a boy. He calls he uses boku, the male, the masculine form of I, um, and Momo accepts that right away. And his source of trauma is very, very rough, <laughs> uh, very, very rough. Uh, so he it, it's and it's a story that. A lot of trans people, I think, struggle with is coming to that realization that they aren't the gender that they thought they were for a long time. And so Kaoru was in the kendo club. He realized um, 
that he is a man inside. And so he consulted his, his, uh, his coach about it. And his coach lashed out at him saying, that can't be true. You are a girl and sexually assaults him. Oh, God. And this was shown on screen. Um, this was a flashback that mm. was depicted on screen and has gotten some backlash. But before we get into that, uh, Kyle, uh, you, you were saying you, you liked this episode. So, Oh, it got backlash. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> so I, I did enjoy it. Um, and I say this from the perspective of somebody who is not, you know, in the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. who has not experienced sexual harassment. I just really enjoyed it because I thought it was really nice that they treated this topic with such sincerity. Mm-hmm. So, um, at right. least as the way I perceived it. Exactly. So I I perceived it the same way as as a cis white male myself, half white male, if I want to be specific. Um, and it wasn't until afterwards where I had a friend explain to me and I was looking at some uh, some discourse on the episode that I realized mm-hmm. it, it, this was this was a wake up call in a sense for me that I have a long way to go and under like in empathizing and understanding for this other community. So um, hmm. to dig into this, the, the trans community is not not happy with this episode, not oh, in the slightest. Um, and. The, the hard part is, to Kyle's point, this episode was trying to tell a sincere story on a trans individual and the struggles they go through, but it was uh, perceived as distasteful in the end. And so I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to break this down for both of you and for all listeners as well, with the caveat that in, I'm not a member of this community. I'm telling this secondhand, so I might be missing some details or overall points. But what it bit breaks down to is that the fact that Kaoru was portrayed as a girl in this dreamscape still where even though she was identified as a boy and so you can or one can argue that the rules of this dreamscape sorts by biological sex you can make that argument however there's also the rules of this world has been played fast and loose throughout the whole story um there's no reason to make that rule and Mm -hmm. to what kyle said earlier this whole story is allegory to begin with and so um, there's no reason why Kaoru couldn't have just been shown as a boy and um, just said, this is what, uh, this is my mental image of myself and so forth. And so, that's so, so I guess in advance says, um, is for the dream sequence, uh, dead naming him and de- dead gendering no, no, him, you could say. Uh, I guess dead gendering. Yeah. I guess I'm not, I'm not sure if uh, Kaoru has a dead name because it wasn't used. Even his, uh, his wonder killer called him Kaoru, Kaoru. But there was there was no alternative name. But you could, yeah, dead gender would be an alternative way. It's a, it's it. a it's a really uh, tricky one because I guess it's also like like Japan never normally explores this topic. It's very conservative comparatively mm-hmm. to parts of America. So on the one hand, you want to say good attempt, good try, but at the same time, it's like, eh, was it? I don't know. I've not seen it, so so I I can't right. fully comment. And so that's mm. that's the. That's the sentiment is that like the fact that it was in good faith mm. almost makes it worse because that means that this is like what people outside the community thinks is a good story, which highlights just mm-hmm. how long we do we go as have to go as a community to change that. But there's more like that doesn't mm. end there, unfortunately. The, so, yes, he's, he's shown as a girl 
And this is compounded with the comments that the Ock has made in a previous episode about how how boys and girls' deaths are fundamentally different from one another. And uh, Kyle was speaking earlier, remember, how he said this, these are about girls' traumas. That's what these, uh, these dreamscapes are for. And so with that comment in mind, it's the fact that Kaoru is even in this dreamscape that has up until this mm. point been for, for girls says that it doesn't matter. It, it, the message can be perceived, I should say, that it doesn't matter what you see yourself inside your biological sex is the only thing that matters in but, the end. The yeah, fact that he's even in this dream. Perhaps this could have worked with. better if it was a trans girl instead. Maybe this could right. have been done yeah. in mm. a slightly stronger way if they'd done it like that. Mm. The So I did look up a bit of discussion on this episode or in just the series in general. And I think... I don't know if it would make it work, but I've seen some theories posit that the like the Wonder Eggs and like all of these characters, these girls, are imagined by the Akas and they aren't actually real. Uh, so they're like reflections of what they assume to be like the trauma on the girls' part, right? So, so it's a reflection of their struggle rather than actual people but then that's justifying it within the terms of the exactly. world versus you know what was the author's intent right so exactly, I, I yeah. get how that's like a whole other situation right yeah so it's like in the end uh since it's the rules portrayed. have been loose up until this point yeah it, yeah. It, yeah you can yeah, you that. can postulate yeah but in the end it was the cho- it was a authorial yeah. choice to portray mm-hmm. it this way and then the straw that broke the camel's back on all this was the the depiction of sexual assault yeah. on screen, which is just extremely taboo um, in the trans community. Um, it's like, it's one of those moments where less is more, where I mean, Kaoru could fair, have just said that it yeah. was, that it happened, and that would have been enough. To be fair, that is absolutely an argument I completely agree with. Um, like, it, it's why I can't really enjoy Goblin Slayer. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't need to show the graphic rape to... Right. you can imply it and it has just as much if not more impact yeah yeah exactly so the fact that they showed it there i'm this really interesting debate because um i understand why certain story writers show that kind of content and i think in certain contexts it can be really really powerful um Mm -hmm. i don't know if either of you have seen the nightingale or heard of it that's a film by so it's by an australian director called jennifer kent do you have a babadook Yes, so it's the same yes. director who made mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so it's oh, a follow-up really? oh, film, neat. and yeah. there is... Everyone talks about that film, and it's like, oh, that's a film of sexual assault in. And it kind of just gets dragged through the mud because of that, ignoring the fact that it's one of the most phenomenal films ever. I think it's absolutely incredible. It's about an mm-hmm. Irish slave girl um, in in Australia, I believe. I, th- I think it is. No, I'm trying to think. I've not seen it for a while, so my memory might be patchy. But she's, uh, she's <laughs> enslaved by a British... Uh, a British soldier. She's trying to get out of this and uh, he's not letting her go. Uh, there's se- sexual assault and it's it's not pleasant in the slightest, but at the same time, it's not uh, sexualized in any way. It's, it, it never shows you more than you need to see, um, but it is still difficult to watch, of course. Um, but it is absolutely integral to the narrative for cementing her revenge story and for giving her a reason of revenge. And when you see the film, it fully contextualizes and it makes sense. Um, but obviously like without that context, it doesn't quite 
make sense without the context. It just seems like a very graphic thing to do. Uh, but my point is, it can be done like that in, in, in a case like that where it's sensitive and it's it makes sense. And it's not just graphic and shocking for the sake of it. I guess the argument mm. here is in one direct priority, was it needed? Again, I've not seen it, so I don't know. Like, like if it served an essential right. narrative purpose and you come away thinking that episode was amazing and the usage of that plot device was powerful and needed for the episode to be told, then fine. But it sounds to me like it wasn't needed. I I don't right. think the visual element mm. was needed. Exactly, yeah. Like, again, just Kaoru saying, like, this happened um, would have been enough. While I was watching it the first time through, I, I honestly, I didn't think much of the scene itself happening. And again, it wasn't until afterwards that I, I a friend explained to me why she felt it was insensitive and why it was a bad thing that I'm like, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. I get it. And so that's this, this whole episode is just eye opening for me. And it, it was definitely an exercise for me like, to really he... uh, re- rethink about how mm-hmm. I, I view these kinds of stories. Yeah, and and how they're told, especially. Because, like, even more shocking than the visual element was, like, Kaoru saying that he got pregnant from that. Yeah. It's like, okay, like, that is way, like, infinitely more shocking than, like, what they showed visually. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, it was was a lot of things piled on top of each other Mm. for this episode. And so that's what uh, lent it. Not not a great, not a great look. I I think it was also Um, with stories like this it's important that the writer is coming from an authentic place. So for example, like none of us can fully comment on it beyond like just the little thoughts we're sharing now, because we, we're not victims of that kind of thing. And we're not people who are ever exactly. likely to suffer that kind of thing. Um, it's like, I mentioned Brooklyn Nine-Nine earlier and uh, there's an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, where Terry is racially profiled for being black. And that episode was written by a black writer to make sure it was authentic and it was coming from a sincere place. This is kind of the same. I'm, I'm not saying it, it needs to be written by a sexual assault victim, but you might want it to be an episode written by a trans person or written or written by someone yeah, yeah. Who, who is kind of in this world, not just like by uh, a Japanese man who is mm-hmm. removed from this. I don't know if it is written by a Japanese man, but, but I, I, you know what I mean? It's, right. it's like, you want to know if it's yeah, or- authentic. Yeah, or at least like have a sensitivity mm, reader yeah. for these things because a lot mm. of the consensus is if a sensitivity reader had looked over that script and at the very least they would have picked up on the sexual assault scene and be like, mm, no, no, don't yeah. need that. But yeah, it's I I I've been really curious to hear what the Japanese audience reaction is mm. to this, um, the, the Japanese trans community as well because that's the other aspect too is that even if they had. Uh, a Japanese trans person consulted a Japanese trans person or had someone write it like a Japanese trans person's perspective as someone living in Japan that's very different from the rest of the world yeah will be different from the rest of the world as well like so it could, yeah, no it could like be very well yeah. received this could have been like consulted on by a Japanese trans person yeah. mm-hmm. it's like that's what they like see as an experience they want like shown on screen i think it's and again i I don't i think this is a sort of entitlement of the western world and and of america as well especially although we have it in the uk too we seem to think we're the whole planet and and that what we deem to be politically correct and appropriate is how everyone should be and there are different countries with different values and views and don't get me wrong they might be completely wrong but we can't always be (laughs) the judge and jury and executioner of that 
Um, we have to always keep mm. in mind if we're watching anime, this is from Japan. There will be different standards here. There will be different uh, nuances to it. And sometimes you do have to kind of just roll with it and think that might not fit with my country's political correctness, but it is from Japan. I've got to kind of understand that there. At the same time, I'm not saying that doesn't mean you can't criticize it and you can't say this could be better. Um, but I always think mm. it's, it's good to take a bit of an ego check sometimes and just remember. I mean, e- even like from our perspective as, you know, heterosexual males, like seeing like these stories on screen, it's like we obviously came away from it very differently than somebody who is yeah. trans or who has gone through these yeah. experiences. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. it's, so. it's until I see it, I can't fully form my opinion. But, but right. also it's, it's like, I'm at least happy that Japan is perhaps getting slightly better at telling LGBT stories. And I hope that this is a, a failure, but at least they'll learn from this failure. And yeah, I'm, 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 hoping, I'm glad it, it brought the conversation um, to the table. On yeah. this note, so like, again, on a more positive, fun note, uh, Skate, <laughs> I'm really, really enjoying. And I would absolutely love it if this turned out that Reki and Langa have feelings for each other. Because I feel there's so much like tension between them. And if this turned into a, like, a, a gay uh, show, I think that'd be amazing. I don't know if they will, because Japan always kind of like skirts away from that subject. But um, that could be an instance, if they actually did that, where it would be an extremely positive, extremely wholesome LGBTQ anime. So... You'll find out an hour I know. Now, uh, and you can watch I, I, I don't think they will. <laughs> I think it would just be like, oh, they're really good friends. But I'm just thinking like, there's so much tension there. It makes so much sense. Like, they both seem to be really into each <laughs> other. Like, this would be great. Um, and that would certainly be a, an LGBT story that's way, way, way more positive and fun and lovely than a sexual assault. So, yeah, I'm rooting for Skate. Mm-hmm. So, that was all only half of that oh. of episode 10, though. <laughs> um, what was the, the other, other half? The other half was... The modern day pyramid head, which I don't know about you, Kyle, but that was absolutely downright, legitimately too chill to my bones, disturbing scene to watch. Yeah, like the whole design of that. Yeah, Yeah, so it's um, so uh, after all this goes down, Harry, uh, so Momo Momo clears her condition. She 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 revives her friend after this one, Um, and but the thing is that after her statue came back this so the way i can it's 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 a school girl like in in a japanese school girl <laughs> outfit, but the head is this moth thing and unlike the rest of the show where the wonder killers were like these like whimsical manifestations of trauma this thing was absolutely downright oh disturbing um and it i don't remember did you uh get did you get far enough to where the girls got the companions yes, it, yeah, like yeah, familiars, yeah. the animal familiars yeah so this this moth thing utterly ab- obliterates Momoi's no. familiar. Which um, one's uh, which one's Momo? I can't remember. It's uh, the lizard, the chameleon. Oh no, I like, I like the chameleon. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and what's worse is after doing that, this this thing, like when Momo is just standing there in shock, it it, it forces the meat of her familiar down her throat. Um, it forces her God, to eat that meat, and so that traumatizes her. And so the episode ends with the Akas discussing, "Is like we need wars of arrows to fight Thanatos 
but I'm not sure if Momo is up. She's now distinctly familiar with the fear of death. And that's how that sounds ends. like a rather heavy <laughs> oh. episode. <laughs> like, yeah, there it, was a it lot gets it's heavier. Like when you've already yeah. got something really heavy, they do something else that's also very heavy at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely unrelated, yeah. but still really heavy. God damn. Yeah. And so, so here, here's an interesting thing before we move on to episode 11. Um, so obviously Eros and Thanatos, so those are the Greek gods of love and, and death. Um, but at the same time, you're you're familiar. You guys are familiar with Freud, right? Yeah, Freud, uh, like Freudian. I've, so, I've, I've, uh, a little yeah. bit, but it's okay. Carry on. I'll pick it up. <laughs> but you, yeah, you know yeah. who he is, right? Like he's yeah, a famous yeah, psychologist yeah. that people refer to him. But like ninety nine percent of his his theories have been proven to be bullshit at this point in the academic mm. community. But yeah. <laughs> because and he's the one who came with like the ID, the, the ego, the super yeah. ID, and things like that. Um, but because people thought he was right for so long. Um, and more importantly, a lot of the greater public at large still think he was right because they have no reason to believe that he wasn't. They weren't told so. And he's, his his uh, his hypotheses are just permeated uh, media so thoroughly. And so because of that, you can use Freudian uh, views to analyze literary pieces such as Wonder Egg. And so in Freud, um, Freud theory, Freudian theory, there's this this uh, pull for death and pull for life in it. And so the pull for death is kind of like your fight or, fight or flight reflex, like, um, or you only live once. So you only live once, so go out and live live a little, like um, go skydiving, do all the things that you uh, want to do because you don't know if you'll ever get around to it. And your 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 pull for life is the opposite. It's like um, reproduction, self-preservation be safe and things like that and so in freud like those two aspects are balanced um and that's how we kind of like get through life um but if one or the other is out of balance then it either uh results in highly reckless natures or like a temptation for suicide or just total stagnation you never go out and risk anything and those two aspects then became to be known in school and be taught to students as the aspect of Thanatos and the aspect of Eros. <laughs> Coincidence. <laughs> um, and so what this episode ended on is how it showed that these the girls that have been committing suicide all this time, there have been strange circumstances revolving those suicides every time. Um, it, like, yes, suicide is awful and you can never fully uh, understand what's going through people's minds when it happens, but... What even with that in mind, the, a lot of things weren't adding up, and so basically, it was hinting that there is some sort of force, this Thanatos force, that is edging these girls towards the temptation mm. of death, and that's how episode ten ends. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds like a light, breezy episode. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. why I've opted to just rewatch Brooklyn Nine Nine and take it easy because <laughs> that sounds too much. <laughs> I can't finish a day of work. It's, it's just definitely a mood. It's a very specific mood launch. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then episode 11 happens, which happened on Tuesday. Um, and so this is the equivalent of Madoka episode 10, <laughs> essentially, where you get a whole lot of what happened in the past and why things are like this. And so this this episode is mainly to- told through the Akka's uh, perspective after 
the or the episode opens up first of all of Rika also clearing her condition, rescuing her friend. But the the same thing happens to her where one of these absolutely disturbing moth-like creatures comes and destroys her familiar and traumatizes Rika. And so now both Momo and Rika are like locked in their rooms because they are absolutely terrified, and you can't blame mm-hmm. them after they go through things. So so I confronts the Akas, uh, basically like. I think now is the time you told us what's going on here. Um, and so the Akas tell a story in the past. We don't know exactly how far in the past, but back when they were still human. That's the other thing is that the Akas, they're two brains in a pod controlling these puppets, by the way. Think Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, they died long ago. So they, they've uh, persisted through this way. So back when they were humans, they, they made their own test tube baby, basically. Her name is Frill. And Frill was acted as their daughter because these two men were locked in their research. They weren't allowed to leave. They weren't allowed to interact with anybody. So they, they made their own daughter, basically, um, using an AI. And they grew up together, and they had fun with each other. They're, they're one big happy family. But uh, then one of the Akas, or Akka himself, instead of Uraka, got married. And Frill had a very distorted view of love at that point and so frill ended up killing killing the wife and that caused the akas to fly in a fit of rage and so they realized that or they didn't realize they they concluded that the ai they had built was faulty um and so they they locked frill away basically as punishment and then over time they realized that these girls around them were committing suicide for inexplicable reasons and girls they were very close to um and they they link it back to frill and that frill is somehow tempting these girls to death she is she is uh enacting some sort of force on them along with these these moth creatures that frill created while she was still alive and so that's why the akas have now created this wonder egg priority protocol which the details of which are still still hazy in order to to combat frill and that that's where we pick up here and so that's where we're going into for the final episode now with uh i I has this knowledge so that that's where i want to start off with so so kyle you just finished watching this episode where we Mm -hmm. got all these revelations right and so what what what's your thought about where this, knowing how much there is to resolve still between the personal stories of the four girls and the overall arching story as well, how, what were your thoughts coming off of this episode? I thought it was a very refreshing commentary on how male-dominant just society at large is. Um, mm. Because the entire episode is detailing how all of the problems are created by two men who just are doing something for fun and creating what they view as the ideal like female mm-hmm. um with and and them being ashamed of their work when it goes awry and deciding to lock it up rather than confront it um mm-hmm. so there, there's a lot of underlying message uh messaging there um and I think that it's a good setup to honestly resolve everything else by just... I, and I hope that the stance that they take is that the Akas are fucking stupid. And that... Because they are. Uh, mm-hmm. And that it, it's very much like the girls 
re- like v- very basic arc of you know them realizing they they had the strength all along kind of thing but you know obviously within the context of wonder egg uh, the wonder egg priority project and with these two characters um just <sighs> coming to terms with their own strength um and weaknesses because i i was a little off put by how militant they are at the idea of even being exposed to death when I feel like that's such an essential part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you have to like know what it's like to die, to want to live even more. Right. So. Or I don't think we have to know what it's like to die, to live, but <laughs> well, uh, no, but just ha- having the fear of death, Having the, having the fear of death I mean, yeah, uh, right, yeah. is not a bad yeah. thing. Yeah, but obviously yeah. you don't need to have a fear of death. I think if, if you're well, no, you do with, with it, it's, that's also good. <laughs> I, I think specifically knowing the fear of death or just know, knowing fear in the context of knowing trauma, right? And confronting it. Because that's like what all of these girls are doing. They're like experience, they've experienced this trauma and they're addressing it, um, mm-hmm. which it you know is part of the august plan but i just think that they're trying to they're trying to manufacture it and put it on a plan more than it needs to be right like watching this episode i was surprised by how man-made this premise turned out to be yeah like i I was definitely expecting it to be sort of a little a little whimsical fantasy aspect here and there to uh, explain some things. And I was not expecting, it's like, no, it, this is all caused by two guys being really fucking stupid and now trying to rectify their mistakes because of that. Uh, and I think that that definitely cast the show in a different mm-hmm. light, uh, that especially however it ends, like there's a lot more stakes writing on how this, this show ends now because of that, because mm-hmm. it, it is man-made and it's not some outside force that we didn't have control over. Um, and so because of that, I, it's, I, I am, tri- I am cautiously optimistic for the ending. I should say like it can, it can very well end and just like, wow, that was incredible commentary on just society as a whole and trauma and how we confront things and how we move forward through life. Or it can be like, wow, that wasn't quite where i was expecting this to go um there's a lot of loose ends still hanging there's we we it could basically almost turn into the last episode of the promised neverland which people are not satisfied oh with. are we talking so, about yeah, season I, two? Oh, yeah of season two we'll get on too soon i think i won't i won't go yeah i won't get on that too much but yeah that that ended not in a great way so no. yeah i i i am very hopeful for the show, especially considering just the master, the mastery it's demonstrated up until this point. Um, if we don't count episode ten and their their screw up there, unfortunately, but uh, I, I have, I have, what's the, what's the not not hope, uh, Opt- optimism. Well, like the word, but yeah, yeah you, you know what I mean. Yeah, I guess optimism. Yeah, faith, faith. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Faith that it'll turn out well, but yeah, it's like, mm, wow, you've you've really you've really written yourself into a <laughs> yeah, tough spot here. Whenever a writer really wants to do something sort of quite arty farty and weird, it's like that could either be great or just really <laughs> really shit. 
And yeah. yeah. But at the same time, like we're always complaining. It's like, I wish people, I wish anime would take more yeah, risks yeah. more often, blah, blah, blah. It's like, they are really taking a risk uh, yeah, here. I, I guess so, I, have to, I have to say we'll about episode 10 as well, off, it yeah. might have been a fuck up, but at least they tried. At least they, they took that yeah. risk. It, it's like, I'd rather something try to be positive for LGBT stuff and fail than not try at all. I'd rather make an attempt and try to normalize the very act of trying and attempting. What's really going to come down to it is like how, I guess how much of a human element um, they end up with and whether or not it feels like this is an earned ending, not just for the girls, but for the show and the message it tries to impart. That's very good. Yeah, that's what I was wanted to say. Is I, I was worried that they w- w- will lose the human element with the with all because they've been really good about you know for the most part about like keeping it very re- relatable in the sense that these are very like human experiences that the girls go through. Right, for sure. Which is which is why yeah I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Find out on Tuesday. All right. Any any other final comments you want to get out there, Kyle? It's. It's very hard to watch this show as a cishet male <laughs> just because, like, I can come away from it initially being like, wow, yeah, that was such a such a good story, such a good representation, then realize, oh, maybe the people that it's trying to represent don't necessarily agree with how they're being mm-hmm. represented. So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. Yeah. Well, that it, it's, I think it's good that this show got made and is right. being made. I, I regardless of how it lands i appreciate how much it's challenging me and yes. and my views because it up until this point i've always thought i was like yes i i'm empathetic of the lgbt community i understand their plight and this this especially episode 10 made me realize like no you fucking <laughs> don't <laughs> you have a long way to go in truly empathizing with this uh, this uh, yeah, marginalized but community I, I, and i i, I think a more positive that. interpretation is like i said before even if an anime series fucks up and gets it wrong which it sounds like a promised not promised neverland i wonder if priority did mm. um i hope the more shows that try mean that the more success stories we will have so like this might right. have failed, but on the back of this, a few other series might pop up that also try to be pro-LGBT, and it really works. That's... So that's mm. what I would hope. The worst mm. possible thing would be like, if this received loads and loads of backlash, and then all the other anime studios are just like, well, let's never try that. And then you just continue to yeah. never get yeah. um, LGBT stories. It, it's like, I want to see more of that. And I kind of want to see a rhetoric which is like, it's all right to fuck up. Just please try and please give it a go because we want to see more positive iterations. See, that, of- that's what I'm wondering though. Like it, 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 I'm in that kind of like weird liminal space where it's like, yes, you know, it, it's good that they're trying, but are these fuck ups destructive? Yeah, and that, that's another side. Like, there's, yeah, there's difficult angles to, different angles to, to consider on this and, and in my stupid white cis brain, it's, it's probably not the best way to yeah. do it. Because it's like, is the attempt mm. enough? Right. Yeah, and that's something that we just have to talk to the people themselves to ask yeah. them. Like, we, it's, oh man. It, it's just like, yeah, I can say it's enough, but again, like, I am not the person yeah. that these stories are about. But this is why exactly. I can say if Skate turns into a gay anime, that will be positive as fuck. <laughs> I'm pleased. That will be really wholesome and really sweet and positive. I, I guess that's what it, uh, that, that's the other part of it too, is like, yeah, I would like to see stories like this that are just about people being happy Mm. (laughs) 
I, yeah, which is why a, I hope it lands in a positive note and you know, that there's I, I, some degree I've said of before as well, like, could you imagine it. if there was a huge shonen, like My Hero Academia, Black Clover, Jujutsu Kaisen levels of popular, where the main character was just like a character of colour, or they were just gay or trans. But that wasn't like discussed very much in the show. It wasn't like a defining thing for them. It was just, they just are. It's and it's just who they are. are. And it was just like yeah. a really, really positive iteration of a marginalized community just being like a kick-ass protagonist. Um, that'd mm. be so mm. fucking cool. Mm. I would really, really like that. Rather than just every show and being like a white teenage boy protagonist. I want to see something that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I continue to hope... Yes. Oh, okay. No, that, that was it. That was it. I ended. <laughs> no, just, okay. just hope. Hope. Hope, end hope, hope is what we, we hold on <laughs> to. Keep all. All righty. Cool, 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 cool. So we will wrap that up for next week. That brings us to our Shitsumon. We're, we're going to skip the news this week because we talked a lot about One Drake. And that is, there's not a whole <laughs> lot that happened uh, recently, anyways. Uh, Crunchyroll, the Crunchyroll acquisition is called into question. The U.S. court is like, wait, this might be a monopoly. Hold on a second. <laughs> and so that's put on hold in other news. Is it? So, well, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. So, Shitsumon, Garimasu. We are continuing our trip down memory lane for the last decade. We are picking up with 2013. Now that Kyle is back, we can talk about this again. And so mm-hmm. we're just going to we're gonna kick off with a bang here. Big, 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 big banger, which I think got, what, like fourth or third on our best anime of the decade list? Something like that. Something that put Trigger on the map. Oh, oh, what that was 2013. That? Man. What What was the, What it was it, Kyle? What was it? Little Witch Academy. No, it was Kill a Kill. No. <laughs> yeah, Kill a Kill. Fall 2013, Kill a Kill slams into the anime audience uh, <laughs> with a furious force. And so, uh, this was this was Trigger's first full length anime series. Up, up until that point, they had they had Little Witch Academia, the the short the short. It wasn't even a movie; it was just a short OVA at that point. Mm-hmm. And they had Inferno Cop, which was a short form anime. Oh my episodes. god, I forgot about Inferno Cop. Yeah, I, I've yet Wait, to didn't actually they also watch do Cop. Oh yeah, was that before or after Kill a Kill? No, that was after Kill a Kill. I'm pretty sure. Was it okay? Harry, you revered Luluko. You should. Know. Uh, that was after Kill a Kill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Kill a Kill was Trigger's first first, first feature length series. anime, yeah, full yeah. length anime series. Yeah. And what a banger to come mm. out with! Am I right? So that's like, I I think I had I had just watched Tengen Topa Gurren Lagann like a year before Kill a Kill, so I was coming off fresh off of just that kind of that kind of bombastic Gainax style. Yeah. And knowing that a lot of that same staff carried over into Kill a Kill and into Trigger, like from the first episode alone, you could see it. Just the way that the characters moved in these weird, wacky, amorphous uh, ways, the way that their facial ex- animations were drawn and just the sheer insanity that was the plot. It hit you with the force of a sledgehammer. And I'm not sure if you guys watched it while it was airing or if you watched it afterwards. I watched it, it after and uh, for quite a few years, it was my favorite anime ever um, until I watched My Hero Academia <laughs> and then One Piece. But uh, for quite a while, that was like just my favorite. And it, it, to this day, it is easily one of my favorites. It's just so fucking ridiculous, but fun. 
Right. So what what specifically about it do you, do you would you say that I, caught you when you I watched it? I think it's kind of unlike anything else. For me, like I wasn't initially like blown away by it. I wasn't initially hooked, but I got like a handful of episodes in and I started to really get into it. Um, and it was when like the whole fight where Ryuga has to fight against the Elite Four came along. But I thought this is like, you mm-hmm. know, typical shonen fun sort of stuff, which obviously I'm really into. So I started to really get into it then. Um, but what's great is it from from then on, it like progressed and it went to really weird places, but it always worked. Um, with Govan Lagan for comparison, I feel like that's a show where a lot of the directions it goes in didn't quite land for me. It didn't quite work for mm-hmm. me. Um, but with Color Kill, like it goes to a lot of weird places and it always seems to work. It wraps up really well. Like like the ending where uh they all go back to the academy to to take down uh is it Rigo? Rago? What's her name? Uh, uh what was R- Ragio, it's, Ragio. A, it's, it's a really it's a weird, weird name. name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it it, yeah. it works where um there's a, there's a lot of other series yeah. Yeah. Of, of that kind of nature. Um and from Trigger to be fair, but I think the finales don't always work. Um, like fucking uh, Darling in the Fox. Yeah. <laughs> but but Kilika works. All yeah. of it lands, the whole story. Yeah. Um, super weird, yeah. super strange, the whole commentary on nudity and like how how, how initially <laughs> it just seems like a very cringy fan service thing, but in the end it's almost like this, yeah. um, this kind of commentary on like expressing yourself and like... Yeah, it's like a sense, a sense of, of empowerment. empowerment and almost, almost like all the yeah. fan service becomes like social commentary. And it, 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 stuff like yeah. that I just think is fucking genius. Like, and, and no yeah. other series has really done it like that. Um, obviously, the animation mm. is so much fun. The action is fantastic. Ryuko is such a great character. The, the music, music, just the presentation, music. everything about it is just pure popcorn joy. And, and, and if someone mm. said, what is an experience that you can have with anime that you just couldn't do in live action? You just could not replicate that in any live action show. Mm. <laughs> Killer Kill is, right. to me, that's like the cream of the crop. Very well put. I think what you were saying about how Kill a Kill goes to these really weird places yet still never loses mm. itself. I think something that really helps in that is that Rico, yes, Rico is the main character, but Satsuki is also kind of a main character in and of herself yeah. as well. And the fact that they were very, they were implanted in these opposite sides of this conflict for the longest time. And so you were seeing like these two perspectives and that allowed it when the story converged and went in this really whack off direction um you weren't constrained to just one perspective you had a greater greater uh horizon to look out on i think and that kind of prepared you for it and let you let you soak it up as opposed to something like in kill a kill where it is just simon the whole time and uh you these things happen you're like okay um this uh this escalated fast whereas in kill a kill it escalates real fast but you see it coming in a natural way but seeing it coming doesn't prepare you for when it actually mm-hmm. hits like wow i i i thought that was going to happen but i still wasn't ready for it to be like yeah. this uh that's that's the beauty behind kill the kill mm. yeah i i love um i think there's an episode as well where uh it starts and it says okay this is the recap episode of kill a kill the one that you've been dreading and uh i think it, is it senketsu the the the, the uniform's name Oh, I think it is, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, yeah okay, he, it's yeah. Senketsu and Junketsu. Yes, yeah, so he does a recap. Yeah. It's like in two minutes and it's like really, really ballistic. Like he does it as fast as possible. I mean, it just kind of like says like, Killer Kill is known for its blistering pace and this episode is no no exception, no recap for you. <laughs> and it just moves on. And it is very much like taking a piss out of recap episodes and stuff. And I just think that sums it up. 
like Killer Kill fully knows what it is. It knows it is a show that is yeah. lightning quick and it is ridiculous and it's fair to break all these conventions and it knows it and it relishes in it and it enjoys doing it. I guess yeah. that's what's really disappointing with shows that came... Well, shows that came after Little Witch Academia because I would say that Kill la Kill and Little Witch Academia are still yeah. Trigger's tr- oh, strongest yeah, shows. Yeah, Okay. Uh, because, like you said, Harry, they know exactly what they are and what they mm, want to be. Yeah. Uh, BNA felt really weird and floaty. Same with Frank's. Uh, did mm. they also do uh, God, what Kiss was it? Uh, Kiss Niver. Yeah. yeah, that one felt like I didn't even finish I, that. Series. I only got a few episodes mm. into Kiss Niver, and I, I just felt bored. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I will give Kiss Niver like one thing where it has a really memorable scene that stuck with me. Like they're in, like. They're in the rain and they're just clutching their chest and they're in pain. Like that, that scene stuck with me, but that's the mm. only part of that show where I'm like, <laughs> that was un- undoubtedly good. But yeah, like mm. there's just been a lot of, I wouldn't say misfires, but just there's all, always been some sort of caveat to every single one of Trigger shows since uh, Kill a Kill and Little Witch Academia. It's like, yeah. So yeah, Darling the Frank's like, yeah, it has a really good start, but the ending is like, eh. Keys Niver's like, really neat characters, really neat idea, but a kind of yeah. why. Mm. And BNA is like really, really fucking cool character designs, really neat music, really neat visuals, really cool uh, choreography. But like, what, why, what, what's the story? What are they saying? Yeah, yeah, what what are they saying? There's like some great moments, but you just kind of finish it and think, oh, okay, that was all right. I I just won't watch that again. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you really got to wonder is like, where, where did that magic go? And it, and part of it is because going back to what we were saying before, Trigger never rests on the laurels. They're always trying to try something different, always trying to push the envelope. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that just hasn't panned out uh, ever mm-hmm. since then. But I know yeah, Harry has reiterated this over and over again. That's like he and both me like would prefer trigger in this way where they keep trying to do something. Yeah, different. I, I like uh, to think that's one what day them. they'll get that gem. Um, did any of you see Premiere? I did, yeah. yeah. So again, yeah, I yeah. kind of have a similar feeling where it's fun uh, and it's entertaining enough, but like I just came away thinking, eh, it, it, it's, yeah. it just didn't wow me in a way that Killer Killer or Little Witch yeah. Academia did. There's just something truly special same, about those shows. It was, it was the same problem with BNA where it's like, what, what story were you trying to tell here? It had this really... That's the other thing is the trigger recently has had this, had this tonal dissonance where, yeah, anime can jump between series and comedy um, very effectively. But trigger's recent shows haven't hasn't been juggling that very well, I feel like, uh, like especially in BNA where some really terrible things happen and they just kind of mm. laugh it off. It's like, ha ha ha. Yeah, mm. that shatter happened. Moving on. And, and- Killer baseball. In, now. <laughs> in terms of, I mean, the killer baseball episode was really fun. To be fair, I actually really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, 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 in terms was, of yeah. good balances of action and comedy, I do have to say, Jujutsu Kaisen. I, I think you'll agree with me, Matt. Like the way that juxtaposes quite dark elements with comedy is fucking great. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, Killer Kill haven't really been doing that, which is ironic since they started as like a comedy company, and their yeah. early series were comedy. Um, yeah, I don't know. One thing I will say, though, and they're really good at this in general, is um, some of their finale things are great. Like, like the finale of BNA is so exciting where the music comes in mm-hmm. and it's that, like that last episode, that last battle. It's a lot of yeah. fun. Um, obviously, Killer Kill and Little Watch Academia, their finales are amazing. Um, Darling in the Franks, less so, obviously, as we know. <laughs> um, we can blame that anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, but generally speaking, I, th- I think Trigger 
have a really good knack for like doing an exciting finale first fun they're yeah, good they, they entertainers they're yeah. really good entertainers yeah. and I, th- I think all they need i mean w- what i would absolutely love i would love a fantastic like ongoing shonen manga series that's like ongoing to go to trigger and have see what it would be like if i adapted something long form i don't mm. know i would almost feel like that would go oh, it, it might do actually to be not like but yeah. it would need to be the right thing yeah. it needs to be something fucking weird that they could like put their stamp on yeah. i don't know they honestly for me like i did enjoy kill a kill but for me like they hit lightning in a bottle with little oh, witch yeah. academia yeah, yeah. um yeah just because like yeah. it, it it's like th- perfectly episodic while still having that overarching like character growth for Akko and it's just, yeah. uh, it's, it's and just Akko really was, good because like you see characters like her so often where it's just like never give up never give up never give up in your dreams but there's something about Akko where it actually hit harder where it's like I actually internalized that lesson um and like that I watched the mm-hmm. show when I was like just starting to get into game journalism and when I was experiencing a lot of stuff or experimenting with a lot of things I'm like you know what like yes like <laughs> nothing will get done if I give up mm-hmm. like I have to keep at it and for whatever reason Akko just her sincerity just really hits as opposed to a lot of the other same kinds of protagonists we've seen I think it's because she actually like experiences real failure and mm-hmm. like learns from it rather than just kind of brushing it off or using it as like an excuse to get stronger mm-hmm. so you, like right. Akko's journey I think is there's something unique about so. Little Witch Academia as well where it feels like the closest anime has been to the sort of the Pixar vibe as in you can play it for kids mm. and they would love it and you can also play it for adults and they'd love it like there's something very universal about it also though we're getting off track and we're just talking about Trigger now for ages and we were talking about Killer Kill <laughs> <laughs> well Kill the Kill was a very watershed yeah, anime. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was Trigger's. It was Trigger's hallmark moment. I think. All right. So moving on, I, I wouldn't have put this on the list three weeks ago, but considering we just got the second season announcement, I think it's worth touching on a little bit. Is Devil is a part timer? Oh, aired geez, in spring right. of 2013. That happened nine years ago, and we are now getting a second season. I hope <laughs> it's getting a time dub. later. I really hope it's getting yeah, a dub. It, pro- it probably will, yeah. Like, it won't be a simul dub. It will eventually. But yeah, so uh, Devil is a Part-Timer, I feel like, should have been an SAO moment. <laughs> it should have been a defining moment for a, a new subgenre being the reverse isekai. Because I think <clears throat> it was the first anime we got that was a reverse isekai. Uh, so Devil is a Part-Timer, th- for those unfamiliar, it's this uh, a demon lord of another world is being beaten back by the hero of the land. So he escapes to our world to recuperate, but he loses all of his powers in our world. So in order to live, he gets a job at McDonald's <laughs> and he becomes the manager there. And he's just, it's just a, com- it's a comedy there. But at the same time, there's all these other forces in the world as well. And it's just comedy gold, just the way that they, because you can just imagine it, just these other characters in a foreign land, trying to figure things out, saying, Saying these stupid things like mana and spells and just the police looking at them like, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> you are some like cosplayer that's gotten way too lost in his mm-hmm. head. And so that it was so incredibly rece- well received at the time. And I had just finished rewatching it just like three months ago, just because I wanted more of it and we hadn't gotten any. And it still holds up today as well. And so <laughs> it's shocking, I feel like, that that didn't turn into more that we didn't get more reverse isekai mm. like that. Since then, we've only gotten Gate and uh, Recreators being re- uh, 
reverse isekai, but nothing since then. And I think I've already been this dead horse plenty of times about where the reverse isekai series, but every time I look back on Devil as a Part-Timer, I'm just very just questioning, like, why? Why didn't this take off? What happened here? Because it's like, it, it, it was popular. Like, people mm-hmm. liked it, and people still like it. People are excited for the fact that it's coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because, like really is like making fun of and taking the piss out of like chunies and like just isekai tropes in general mm-hmm. um because it's yeah it goes with the whole fantasy vibe um and you know it has these characters who come from a fantasy world with all of these like pseudo game mechanics and ideas but it doesn't take itself seriously at all mm-hmm. which i think is in very stark opposition to literally everything else that mm-hmm. normally covers that kind of content, which is why Konosuba is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Konosuba is next year on 2014. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. I'm not, first of all, Harry, have you seen the show? That's why I'm being quiet. Just okay, yeah. Letting you guys do your yeah. thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, I know for the light novels, people weren't satisfied with the ending. I don't know That's the what context I heard. of that. But. Yeah. Uh, I think the overall sentiment is that it's everyone's pretty stoked it's coming back. I, it's this was something I was going to talk about if we got to the news a little bit about uh, Promised Neverland, but just anime is so weird because it's the only entertainment medium where the consumers of it just accept that they'll probably never get a proper ending to the story. Like for ninety five percent of the anime out there, they don't actually end. They don't that was a very that was an unfortunate realization that I had <laughs> when I was younger, and I got into series like Haruhi and Shakugan no Shana. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So it's just like if you imagine like Western live action shows, like if someone started Breaking Bad and they were told like, yeah, it's good, but like it's never actually going to finish. Would it have been as popular <laughs> as it is now? Absolutely not. It's just like. WandaVision yeah. right now. If people like if people went into it expecting it would never end, would they be as invested? It's just mm. like anime is so weird how we are just pure masochists of that. We go in knowing full well we're never gonna get the ending of this unless we go and hunt down the source material. And even then, like maybe the source material doesn't actually like see out its full vision. It might get cut short. This is why I've got I've, I've got to yet again big up one piece because that anime will end one day and it will end alongside mm. the manga um and that's yeah. well over a thousand gonna be well, it's gonna be well over a thousand episodes so uh if one piece can do it any of a show can do it i have faith <laughs> well it, it's that whole thing that like you've talked up about before matt where anime is just advertisement right mm-hmm. is how it's treated yeah for a lot of these especially for light novel adaptations and that's why we've never gotten more konosuba it's just because like okay we've done our job just push although we it. are getting we are getting it. the author's new series uh What's it called? Oh, oh, I forget. But yeah, it, his his new series is getting an anime next season. So we definitely be checking that out. But yeah, it, it really is unfortunate. It's also another reason why we haven't got more Spice and Wolf. Um, we, it's it. a reason why we all thought we weren't getting more Devil as a Part-Timer. So yeah, again, like, what, why Devil as a Part-Timer now? Especially now that the series is done. It's not like it needs to push momentum to sell a volume. So it's like, Oh god, yeah, like the I same would, thing with fucking uh, Snafu. Like, there was yeah, eight, nine years between that. And yeah, like, what, what what causes these long waits between seasons? I just, I've, it's, there's really nothing like that any other than me. Like, even in video games, it's, it's not, like, it happens in video games, but it's not nearly as common 
mm-hmm. as it is in anime. Not nearly mm-hmm. as common. Mm-hmm. It, it's really funny because I think about the uh, the Shenmue series. How oh god, I was just actually it, watching yeah. a video about that. <laughs> yeah, so like all these years, people were waiting for Shenmue three. It comes out, and then they announced like, yeah, the next parts are going to be adapted as, into an anime. And fans are like, yay, we're actually going to see it ending the story. And I'm just here thinking, will you? <laughs> Because anime's not much better about this. I'm not sure. So yeah, it's it's just fascinating to think about how we just are masochists. Accept it, yeah. 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 All righty. So another thing that will never end for as long as Japan is alive because this show happened. We got to talk about it. Love Live uh. Winter <laughs> oh, 2013. Oh, when man. the idol scene in Japan was never the same. <laughs> ever like, again what what was different with love live versus idol master which was like the same thing so i think there was a much bigger push for the multimedia aspect of uh love live when it came out because idol master it was kind of in ways like it, it started as a video yeah, game and yeah, that's that all it was and then it kind of like built upon itself as it went around where it's idol or not, idol, love live is just like we got our anime we got our idol group we got our phone game we got our uh music album oh god now i'm just so remember it, when i went to japan and like there was love live advertisements yeah, everywhere yeah yeah i was dumbstruck when i was in japan and just how proliferative love live was in tokyo at least it was it it baffled me and so that that's I'm pretty sure that's what set Love Live apart from everything else. And that's what's kicked off the whole multimedia project, idol project uh, in Japan that we know today. And she's like, Love Live, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. I, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's because of the very cookie cutter nature uh, where you the fans bring their interests into it and they pick and choose right. what they like out of it. Exactly. It's kind of similar to the Vocaloid phenomenon in a weird way, how there's no there's no lore for Vocaloid. There's essentially no lore for Love Live. It's just that the, the fans yeah. just pick it up and, and create their own lore. And the concert, like, I've watched a concert here and there just with some of my friends, and they're fun. I can I can see it. You can get behind it, but it's just like, I I've yet to really talk to an idol fan or specifically a, a love life fan and just ask why this why specifically this i'm not judging you <laughs> i just am honestly curious like why tell me what 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 appe- what what appeals to you i think we have i think uh, only in the western world mm-hmm. though there are just as many people with like really uh arguably shit interests <laughs> and, and like just in different ways <laughs> um i think some of our pop artists are really really fucking mediocre um, and people, okay, Drake, for example, let's be real, Drake is really, really shit and mediocre <laughs> and like not deserving of being one of the most streamed popular artists. Um, it's part of the market. I, I'm going to shoot part of further the shots. Uh, Kanye West is is <laughs> not anywhere near as good as people make him out to be. And I don't know, maybe I'm just upsetting the Kanye West fans, but uh, I, I think... Artists like that have shown us that people can get obsessed over very mediocre music, very mediocre content. Um, and we've seen that with Sword Art Online. We've seen it with Love Live. Um, people can get very obsessed over very middling quality stuff. It really depends in in how much it gets mm, pushed. Yeah. Really, like, yeah, Love Live marketing is like an entire yeah, other that's fucking it. level. It's not like how good it is, it's yeah. how accessible and simple is it. How, 
Yeah, is no, the accessibility is a huge part. Like, is it accessible? Yeah. Is it simple? And is it heavily marketed? We see it so much with like the, the pop yep. music that yep. people consume. Yep. A lot of the time, it's not particularly good. It's not particularly interesting or deep or uh, innovative or, or high quality. It's just pretty standard, pretty forgettable, pretty throwaway. But it's so heavily marketed and so easy to get into and so TikTokable. Um, Look at me, I'm cool, I'm down with the kids. Um, yeah, because of all that, people just fucking love it. And it's the same with, with a lot of these shows. It's not bad all the time. Like, I think, like, you know, like Matt mentioned, Miku has, like, the same kind of success for the same yeah. kinds of reasons. But I think there's a lot more merit to the stuff that comes from, like, Miku's fandom. Uh, but it is the accessibility part of it that really does just play into, like, how how much more people will get into it. And especially with something like Love Live, where you have people who have, you know, their best girl or their wife. It's like they rally around commonalities with other fans. Mm -hmm. What really surprised me about the Western Love Live fandom, at least, I don't know about the Japanese fandom, is just like how surprisingly evenly distributed the gender ratio is of it. If if it's not even 50-50, it's more skewed to females than Mm. males. It seems That's like. like interesting. Yeah, it's like I I know more girls that are Love Life fans than I know. It's know nice guys. to know it's not just uh, like one hundred percent creepy guys. There's like exceptions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it that's it, fascinating to me. It's just like how it, it appeals to all sides of the spectrum. It seems. I mean, like, it's the same thing like, with Miku, right? Like Miku has like a yeah. huge like female following. Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. So yeah, it's just it's not it's surprising in a lot of aspects, and man. Love life will never die. It's it's on its third generation now. I don't. That's a th- actually. You know what? Maybe, I'm not sure because I haven't heard anything about the third generation. Like even oh, my friends that are Love Life fans. Yeah, yeah I've heard yeah, it's, no talk about them whatsoever. To be fair, it's fairly early. Um, and like it took a while, I think, before Sunshine like really found its like, niche and audience. Fair. Yeah, that's true. So, yep. I wonder. I wonder how far it'll go. It's just like, oh man, there's so many love, it, it, as so long many as idol keeps, spinoffs now. <laughs> as long as it keeps printing money is how yeah. long mm. it will go. Freaking Uma Musume, like horse girls I, plus How idols. is that show popular? I've been seeing so much of Uma Musume, so yeah, much. I'll, 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 tell you, I'll tell you off call because I'm, oh my God. I might be a little obsessed. <laughs> people, people like cute girls doing cute things. Yeah. All right. So that those are those are the main big hitters of, uh, of 2013, I would say. I'm just going to go through some of these other ones that made a splash in one way or another. So Data Live started back in spring of 2013. That's getting its fourth season soon uh, and sometime this year. That is just absolute pure, by-the-numbers, harem, trash, nonsense that I devour. <laughs> um, Eccentric Family hit 2013 of summer, summer of 2013. And so that's the one with the Tanuki family that was a very interesting dynamic going on in Kyoto, a very spiritual and it's uh Hmm. it's uh themes of family ties free sure did happen summer (laughs) uh so that that showed that kyoto animation could do things other than cute (laughs) girls it could also do very very hot guys (laughs) um that was meme to hell and back second season of free very good not ironically first and third not so much um Garden of Sinners kicked off um, the Garden of Sinners movies. That's uh, the one that's kind of like a companion piece to the Tsukihime visual novel, which is getting its remake this year. It's finally coming out. Can't wait. Uh, Kyoso Giga happened in fall. So this was 
uh, what studio was it? I'm blanking on the studio, but it's one of my favorite anime of all time. But it's a it's a truly Japanese take on Through the Looking Glass. Like, no, I'm not even saying it's not even like Japan is very obsessed with Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass kind of things. But and when I say a truly Japanese take, I'm saying like we're not just taking named characters and putting them in a Japanese setting. It's like literally these characters are completely different named, and they're like based off of characters from Alice in Wonderland or Through the Looking Glass, but. Like they are very steeped in Buddhist principles, Japanese customs, and it's a very family centric story with some really flashy animation that's just fun and very surprisingly emotionally heartfelt moments as well. So highly recommend that. Uh, Little Busters came out that year as well, the anime version of it. So didn't make as big a splash as Clan Ad, unfortunately. So Little Busters was Key's follow up visual novel after Clan Ad. Visual novel very good. Anime was eh. Until the end. Rom-com snafu started spring of 2013, Kyle. Oh, Lord. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. years. Oh, man. Yep. Uh, So I've talked about this show on the podcast before. So Nagi no Asakura, the one with the kids that live in this under the sea, under the sea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's just a very interesting story about change and what it does to people and what it means for you as you grow up and things like that. This show was mean to hell and back. It's not your fault. I'm not. It's your fault. I'm not popular. <laughs> Happened in summer of 2013. So that's the one with the very, very uh, introverted girl who doesn't socially awkward girl as well, who thinks that should she should be popular, but just cannot communicate to save her life. It's a very hard show to watch, but it's it's a, it's made us mark for one reason or another. Uh, Silver Spoon happened summer. 2013 so that is uh for those not familiar that is the author of full metal alchemist doing something that is very much not full metal alchemist so it is about a kid moving getting away from the city is tired of his life there he goes to a high school that is all about farming and it's a very very relaxing show that is very Very, different from a full metal alchemist yeah uh yoomushi pedal also known as biking of the shonen started in fall of 2013 which i can't believe that was that long ago uh, if you're looking for a sport, good sports shonen show, it's right there. And finally, White Album 2 happened in fall of 2013, which is just a very, very well-done romantic drama that I haven't seen repeated since then. So that's been 2013. Wow, a good year. <laughs> yes, indeed. Sounds like a good year overall. I think we say that for like <laughs> every year. Every year's got every year's got something good in it. There's never like a... a a snoozer of a year entirely. It's always got one or two things. All right. Any other last comments you want to say on any other shows? Or shall we wrap up? up? All right, cool. Harry, where can we find you and what do you want to promote? And how is your Uh, album? Why do you love it? So uh, in terms of finding me, I'm obviously on Goomba Stomp. I've not written for a little while, but uh, I'm around there and I'll try and write something at some point this year. Uh, I'll I'll plug my EP again. My EP, uh, Corison Lost Woods EP. Um, that's on SoundCloud. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. All good music retailers. So check it out. Um, and the thing I want to promote this week is Sea Spiracy, a new documentary on Netflix, which is fucking awesome. It is basically about the entire sort of uh fishing industry, but also about the oceans in general and how there's a lot of corruption there. So it goes into 
Yeah, so it goes into the oh, environmental yeah. side of like of like plastic and whatnot, but it also goes into some really interesting shit. So, for example, um, I think almost fifty percent, like forty eight percent, of the waste in the ocean isn't from plastic straws and the plastic we use. It's from discarded fishing nets. So the biggest cause of like mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. biggest well, cause okay. of like marine death is fishing nets. So to uh, push my vegan agenda. If you want to protect the oceans, stop eating fish. Stop supporting fishing because that is the worst thing. So, yeah, check out the documentary and uh, consider altering your dietary habits because this is not an industry you want to support. It is really fucking bad. So, yeah, just on that feel-good note, see Spiracy on Netflix. Check it out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Kyle, what about you? Where can we find you and what do you want to promote? I am at Like the Rogue. Uh, I am mostly busy with work because work is very busy. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as like media that I want to promote, so I haven't really been reading manga. I've actually been reading books in Japanese uh, to try and practice. And one that I've been reading for the past few weeks is called uh, Konbini Ningen, or Convenience Store Human. Um, I think you can find it as convenience store woman in English, but it's a really interesting look at what, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just a look at Japanese society through the lens of somebody who's been working as a part-time employee at a convenience store for like, like most of their life. And all the and shapes like, of people that come through during that time. Um, yeah, all of the all of the people that like they encounter, all the people that like she comes in contact with, um, and just what that's what it's like to be in a society that forces you to conform um implicitly or explicitly. So yep, very good book. Very, very good book. Book book or manga? It, it's a book. It, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it's all. I'm reading a lot of kanji, <laughs> and it's very slow going. Yeah, damn, that is very impressive. Is there furigana at least? No. Oh no, boy. there's no furigana. Oh, oh, oh God, yeah. yeah Thankfully, that's, that's I'm 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 in a book club, so there are people who are like putting together a vocab sheet. Okay. Um, but a lot of the time, I'll just have to like use something like Jisho and like freaking look up a kanji through its radicals. So that's yeah. fun. I have been learning a lot of kanji by playing this <laughs> phone game. Anyways, that's not oh, what I want to promote. Um, so I am Matthew Ponte. You can find me at Musing Mojack, M-O-S-I-N-G-M-O-J-A-C-K on Twitter and Guma Stomp and also my Twitch where I stream every Monday and Friday at the very least. I'll be streaming a lot of Monster Hunter Rise in the coming days. Very excited about that game. It's a very good game. Uh, <laughs> what I want to give a shout out to will be a manga called Wake Up Sleeping Beauty, which I just started reading recently. And so it's about... A, a boy who works as a housekeeper at this kind of mansion in Japan, and he meets the the daughter of the the leader, the head of the house. She's kind of like locked away from society; she doesn't interact, and she she behaves very differently on a day to day basis. And what you eventually find out is that she, her body is kind of like acts as a medium for dead spirits around her, and so these spirits will possess her body on a daily basis. And so the boy is just interacting with all of these dead people. Um, through her body uh, and trying to allay whatever uh, lingering regrets they might have in life, while at the same time also providing a real life for this girl herself, the owner of the body, Suzu, 
who her her life has kind of been turned upside down by this this power she has. So it's it's a very it's a very heartfelt romantic comedy so far. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I've actually bought it physically. It's been a long time since I bought a manga physically, and it, it feels good to uh, be cracking up, nice. open those pages, Ooh, and flipping nice. through them. It's been a while. So yeah, we'll end it on is that. Is it ongoing? So. It's still ongoing. Yeah, at least the gotcha, translation gotcha. is. I'm not sure if it's okay. finished in Japan. Gotcha. But yeah, it's on volume six, and I'm currently on volume three. So yeah, that's that's all we got for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed all of our really, really intense discussion that happened this episode. There was a lot to get into. And we will see you next time. Ciao.